He is risen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We serve a resurrected Savior and uh, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, I've um, been blessed by, uh, by Joel and um, Stephanie's uh, ministry and the ministry of this church. has been a wonderful model um, for uh, kind of throughout the states. And um, definitely uh, it has the faithfulness here has rung out to uh, Washington, D.C. And so we um, think about you all often. We, we try to model what you all do. Um, and so we are very thankful for the ministry that, uh, that you all have here. Um, Mercy of Christ Fellowship Church says hello uh, to you all. Um, again, thank you for introducing my wife. She's back there with my two kids and uh, two kids in the back. Uh, and so um, since I know how it is to have kids, let me get started. <laughs> so we're going to be in John chapter 4. And um, in the Black Pew Bibles, I think it's on page 835. Uh, John chapter 4, and if uh, the Pew Bible's in front of you, it's on page 835. And uh, we're going to look at this very um, well-known passage about the, the woman that the Lord met at the well. So just a little background, um, the Apostle John, who ministered uh, with Jesus during his earthly ministry um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the one who authored this, uh, this book. He wrote it about around 90 AD, and he makes his intentions very clear. He says in John chapter 20, verse 31, um, that these things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He makes it very clear up front why he uh, wrote this book. That's a bold statement because um, it, he said that it was written so that people would read it, see Jesus, and may have life. So the implication is that you could be a person physically alive, able to read, able to walk, talk, breathe, and you could still be dead. Um, and you're dead in the most vital place of your existence. You could be dead in your soul. Um, and so... Um, but our Lord Jesus came to give life. Amen. Amen. Um, and so I'm glad no, no matter where you are today, uh, spiritually, I'm glad that you're here no matter where you are. Um, so some of you might be physically alive and spiritually dead, and you know it. And some of you may be physically alive and spiritually dead, and you don't know it. My prayer for you that the Lord would... Um, open up your heart by a spirit to see Jesus and that you might come alive today. And then some of you are spiritually alive, but you're living like you're dead. And so there's no joy in your salvation. There's no life in your salvation. There's no energy in your witness. And so my prayer to you is that my prayer for you and for me uh, is that as people who have been made alive by Jesus, that we would be alive and that our life would be seen by the world particularly in the message we claim about Jesus Christ. And um, I, my, my prayer is that we, we, we get there through John chapter 4. So I uh, want us to see our, our life-giving God in this chapter. And I want us to see it kind of in four stages in this, um, in, 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 this, in, this section, in this chapter. One, we're going to have an untimely meeting. Uh, two, we're going to have an unlikely convert. Three, we're going to have an 
unhelpful message, four unlikely nutrients, and then five unlikely salvation. Now, I say unlikely because it's everything, everything, it's really seemingly unlikely. Because a lot of times when we're in ministry or in life, things can seem like nothing really, like nothing is going on. And it could seem like God is not in control, he doesn't have good plans, and that we're moving nowhere. And so it seems unlikely in all these things, but in actuality, God is completely in control and has good plans. So let's look at this seemingly untimely meeting. Look at uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 2, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field of Jacob, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, verse 6. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There we have an untimely, uh, seemingly untimely meeting between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. So the, the Apostle John starts out uh, this section talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry was to point people to Jesus and prepare the way of, of the Lord. And so he was teaching and baptizing uh, uh, individuals, uh, pointing to Jesus as the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, but because he was pointing to Jesus, quite naturally, people would begin to shift from his ministry to Jesus' ministry. And uh, Jesus, uh, not um, understanding, J Jesus, who had a perception that this might be um, dealt with in an ill way by the Pharisees, decided to relocate his ministry to, to Galilee. So he moves to Galilee, and he said he had to go through Samaria. Uh, so as he's going to Galilee, he goes uh, through Samaria, and it says that he stops at uh, in a town of Samaria called Sychar, and then he sits down um, at this well that was attributed to uh, Jacob, um, and then he's there in the middle of the day at, at, at 6, uh, which would be 12 p.m. in the scorching heat. And um, this is somewhat of an untimely meeting that's about to occur because a Samaritan woman comes out. And the Samaritan woman was, um, first of all, to the Jews, they were already shameful because they were Samaritans. Um, and so the Jews were, um, felt that the Samaritans were an uh, inferior breed of Jews because they were made up of a 
interracial marriages. So you can read about it in the first Kings 16 to 18, how when the Assyrians had taken over Samaria, uh, they began to have the Assyrians um, marry the Jews, and then from that became these um, uh, Jews who were no longer pure Jews. And pure Jews began to look down on the Samaritans. God hates racism. He hates the effects of racism. And praise the Lord, as I look out in this congregation, it looks like the Lord has done a wonderful work in you all's hearts. Um, and he's broken down the dividing wall and, and that there seems to be um, uh, where you all can lift every voice and sing together. Praise the Lord for that uh, in this church. And, and I'm sure, and I am sure that there is no racism um, amongst of this congregation or lurking in, in you all's hearts. Uh, um, but one way you do know is that if, if, you're, if, if, if your child or your best friend um, tells you that they're about to get married and, and you look at that picture and it's actually someone of the outside of your race. I, I remember when I was um, um, dating and a good older saint um, who loved Jesus, I told her, and uh, she said, um, you know, if, if you bring some, if you drive home with somebody out of your race, I'll put them in my car and drive them right back. And that's not funny. R racism can be deeply embedded into our hearts, and it could lurk there in ways that we don't, aren't aware of. And so we all, even as we sing, lift every voice and sing together. Let's continue to pray that the Lord would guard our hearts from the evil of racism and of ethnic pride. Because uh, ethnic pride is what caused these Jews um, to um, hate the Samaritans. So much so that many of them, if they went to Samaria, definitely wouldn't sit down at a well, definitely wouldn't go into town and, and hang out with the people there, and definitely wouldn't be talking to a woman. All of these things the Jews would not have done. But here you have Jesus, a Jew, in Samaria, at a well, talking to a woman which seems to be an untimely meeting because even she wasn't, typically was not supposed to be out there at 12 p.m. in the middle of the day. But why is all of this happening? It's happening because God is a seeker of worshipers. It's happening because God intentionally orchestrates the affairs of life so that people can meet him and be saved. And that orchestration, that direction, jumps over racism, jumps over tradition, goes through customs, because none of those things can stop the plan of God. And so here you have Jesus at this um, timely meeting. He's weary, and this woman comes to the well, and he talks to her, and he asks her, for a drink. 
And she knows that this is not supposed to be a conversation, so that's why she says, you, you, you're a Jew talking to me about water. You, that's, that's not supposed to be happening. Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You read that at the end of verse 9. Jews were not supposed to have any dealings with the Samaritans, but Jesus came to be a savior of the world. Amen. Mm-hmm. So he sits down and he talks with her. And I pray that that would be our heart as well, that there would not be anything in our minds that would keep us from talking to an individual, thinking that the Lord wants to save them. You all are in Baltimore, um, and so praise the Lord that there are many people that I'm sure that you all are evangelized and and share the gospel with. Um, And I wonder, are there any people that you think can't be saved? It's interesting, but for me, let me just be honest, for me, um, the person that I don't think can be saved, honestly, um, is, is, is not the person who's, um, who's on the corner. For some reason, I, I struggle with talking to the person um, who actually has everything together. Just to be honest. I actually walk right past those people. Like, oh, they're fine. Or, or sometimes I, I'll see a person who's, who, who obviously um, has t- said that they're a Catholic or uh, an Orthodox Catholic, um, uh, meaning that they believe in works and, and not in Jesus Christ. Or I've seen people um, who are uh, Orthodox Islam or, or th- things of that nature, and I'm like, oh, they're set in their ways. Just let me go on. Or I'll see somebody who, who is um, struggling with maybe transgenderism and maybe has, has tried to make a transition. And I'll say, oh, they definitely don't want to hear. Do you have anybody in your, in your life, in your area, where, where you think in your mind, uh, let's just move on. That's a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. And if you're in their life, it's not an untimely meeting when you're, t- when you're sitting next to them on a plane or in a restaurant or if they're your waiter. God has a plan for you as you interact with them. So take advantage of those times. Because um, while there may be, to us, unlikely converts, there are no unlikely converts uh, with the Lord. So I just want to look at an unlikely convert as I continue to look at this woman. This, this woman is an unlikely convert, seemingly unlikely convert. One, she's blind to the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Um, so, so we have all types of water. We got tap water, spring water, mineral water, distilled water, sparkling water, hard water, alkaline water, electrolyte water, all types of water. And there's probably more than I even listed, and I googled that. <laughs> it's, it's, but, but at that time, right, when you're in the desert, you're not worried about all those different types of water. You just need water. And your source of water was from a well. And if you didn't have any water, just the basic well water, life wasn't going to be well for you. You were going to be dead. 
And that is why water became a, a, a symbolism throughout the Bible of how God is going to come and, and give life to people's souls, how God is going to come and restore, how he's going to bring in the kingdom. Water became a symbolism for that. And so Jesus says that, look, if you knew the gift of God, and, and how God had often talked about how he was going to bring living water to his people, you, you would have asked me for living water. But she didn't know the scriptures, and she didn't know God's plan, um, and she didn't know that Jesus was God's plan to give water. She was blind to his glory. And therefore, she just skips over that, and then not only, not only uh, was she blind to his glory, but she's also natural, natural in her thinking. She's, she's, she's natural in her thinking. Look at verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Well, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's thinking about water, H2O. And the Bible tells us that the natural mind cannot interpret the spiritual things. And she just demonstrates that she's thinking very naturally, very simply, very superficially. Jesus is talking about living water for the soul. She's like, yo, where's your bucket? <laughs> where's your bucket? Then she proceeds to talk about how people in the past had, had drunk from that well and how animals had drunk, and, had drunk from that well. And she's completely missing the point that Jesus is trying to press upon her. Jesus is telling her, listen, you can never thirst again. And, and, and what could be inside of you is a well of water that springs up to eternal life. And after Jesus says that, she again says, give me this water so that I don't have to come out here and draw again. Again, natural thinking. Think about buckets and drawing water. She's completely missing it. She's missing his glory. She's, she's superficial and simple in her thinking. Similar to Nicodemus. Jesus says you got to be born again. Nicodemus like, how can I get it back in my mama's belly, though? <laughs> A lot of people, they, they, they just they weren't getting it. They were thinking with their natural minds. And so was she. So she was blind to his glory. She was thinking simply. And then she was immoral in her living. Look at verses 16 to 18. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Here we see this woman is in, uh, deceptive, and she's immoral in her, living, in her living. Whatever you make of the first five husbands, and we don't really know what happened in the first five relationships with the first five husbands. They could have all passed away, and it could have been a solid marriage. We, we, we really don't know. 
about the first five husbands. But the fact is that when Jesus told her to call her husband, she said she had no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband because the husband you now have is not your husband. That doesn't make sense unless she's living immorally. Because how you say you don't have a husband, but then Jesus called you out and say, yeah, but the, the husband you do have is not your husband. So she's either has a husband that is not her husband, so she has someone else's husband, or she has a, a man who isn't her husband, but she's living like he is her husband. I, I, she's, she's deceptive. She's immoral. She's blind to Jesus. She's natural in her thinking. And she's ignorant of the scriptures. Look at verses 19 to 22. The, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our, our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem, and, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. You see, because there had been this, this bigotry and hatred between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, they even had a, developed a separate place of worship. So the Samaritans only worshiped on one particular mountain, Mount Gerizim, and they didn't even go to Jerusalem. Uh, to worship where they were supposed to worship. And, and not only that, but the, the Samaritans only held to uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, and they didn't con consider um, more thorough books within the Old Testament of the, the, those other prophets. And so they didn't have the full scope of Scripture, and they didn't know the Scriptures as they should have. So they were ignorant of the scriptures. They were ignorant of God's word. She was blind. She was simple. She was immoral. She was ignorant of the scriptures. And yet, and this is, what, this is, this is what's amazing about the Lord. In her blindness, in her immorality, in her ignorance, the Lord still stops. And he, and he goes to her and he says, and, and, and he still wants her. That's what's so amazing about the love of God. He knows everything about you and I. He knows our rising. He knows when we go to sleep. He knows what we say, have said. He knows what we're about to say. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we have done. He knows what we plan to do. He knows what has been done to us. And he's still willing to save. If you didn't say amen, you think you're better than what you are. I said he knows everything about us and he's still willing to save. What a merciful God we have. What a merciful God we have. That he, was, that he would save sinners I love, that he would pursue us. And he has to pursue us because we're all ignorant, born in ignorance. We're born lost. We're born outside of the will of God. We're born orphans. 
We're born aliens. We're born strangers. He has to pursue us, and he, and he does pursue us. There's this woman who seems to be like an unlikely convert. The Lord goes after her, and he presses her. And he, and, he, and he calls her on certain things, not, 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 to, um, not to condemn her at that time, not to, not to uh, make her guilty, but he, but he presses those things so that she could understand where her true worship is. And where it should be. So her, her true worship was not where it should have been. And if she had continued in the ignorance of the scriptures, and if she had continued in that immoral lifestyle, um, and she had continued to worship that way, then she would have died in her sin. So Jesus has to, to press these buttons in order to reveal to her where her heart is, so that he can capture her heart. It hurts when he says, go and, go and grab your wallet. It hurts when he says, go, go and open up your, your cabinet. Go, go and show me your, your internet browser. Show me your text message. Give me all of your your Facebook posts. It, it hurts when he, when he says, when he calls you on certain things. But he breaks to heal. He, convict, he convicts you to point you to a wonderful Savior, to where you ought to be. And so he tells this woman to go grab her husband, tells the rich young ruler to go grab to, to give up certain things. And I don't know what he's telling you uh, today particularly. He's, he's speaking to, he speaks to us particularly. We all have particular, specific sins that is hindering our worship to God. So you should be asking this Holy Spirit right now, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now, to whatever, whatever it is particularly that is going on in individuals' hearts right now, search us. And whatever's unlike you, O oh Lord, bring it to the light so that we can come to the light, to the light of Christ. Because Jesus Christ is what we need, amen? And here we have a seemingly unhelpful message. Verse 23, uh, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Um, verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? 
Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away to the, to, into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town um, and were coming to him. This is a seemingly unhelpful message. We, uh, well, what, what we might do, what we might be tempted to do is uh, she, she continues to talk about water. Uh, and they were like, okay, well, let's just meet her where we are. Um, let's meet her where she is. How about we just, how about I just get buckets and start filling her buckets with water? Because if I fill her buckets with water, um, then she'll listen to me. Or, or, or we'll say, or, or we'll try to press in on the relationship. And, and we'll try and, try and uh, give some counsel around uh, the, the man she's with, who she ain't supposed to be with, and, and all this other stuff. Uh, but I love that, that Jesus um, sticks to the main thing. And while it is very good to, to, to serve people and to give people water and, to, and, and, and all of those, those mercy things, listen, I have a mercy ministry in, in Lincoln Heights, uh, D.C. I'm all about mercy ministry. Um, but the, the, our, our deepest conviction must be that, um, and, it, and it seems unhelpful to, to some, but our deepest conviction must be that the world needs Jesus. Uh, because Jesus uh, is what, and serving Jesus is what enables us to have true worship. And God is looking for true worshipers. Uh, God is not just looking for people to get out of debt. He's not just looking for people to get out of addiction. God is not just looking for people to have two-parent households. God is not looking for kids to just have a great education. What God is seeking is true worshipers. People who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. And you know what? Amazing about us, what separates human beings from animals and from trees and from the bees and all the other things is that when God um, created Adam and Eve, he made them out of dust, but then he, he breathed breath of life in them. And, and so we're not just creatures from the dust, but we're spiritual beings. Spiritual beings who in a, in, in a unique way, only to human beings, are able to worship God who is spirit. And so, so we must worship God as spiritual beings in spirit because God is spirit. And you must worship him in truth. I praise the Lord. I was, I was very blessed by the musicians today and, and the songs um, this morning. But uh, just, just, just remember that good singing and good playing does not make good worship. Good worship can be done without all of the instruments. But keep your instruments down. <laughs> that was good. But good worship can be done without the instruments. Because acceptable worship is ex worship that's of the spirit and that is of truth. That's true worship. And, 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 and who 
was um, who did the Lord um, fill with the Spirit without measure? Jesus. Jesus. And um, who does the Spirit points, uh, point us to when we worship? The Spirit points us to Jesus. Because worship of the Spirit is not about how loud you sing or how soft you sing or the instruments you have. Worshiping, worship, true worship is worship filled by the Spirit to the glory of Jesus. What is truth? Well, who, who did Jesus say the way, the truth, and the life was? Jesus. In John chapter 1, we said that Jesus was filled with, with grace and what? Truth. True worship, worship that the Father seeks, is worship that's centered on Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. And so that's why, that's why the climax of this is that when Jesus reveals as they're thinking about the Christ in verse 26, the climax of this conversation um, is when he says, um, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And, that, and that's why in verse 30, after she has dropped her jugs, that's why they all went, when they went out of the town and were coming to him. Worship is not centered on a place. It's centered on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who we worship because Jesus Christ is the one who has, who gives life. Again, it seems like an unhelpful message when um, there's so many things in life that are um, broken, and, and, and it may seem like an unhelpful message to you if, if you have had a lot of uh, tragedies in your life and if people have done you wrong, and, and you can be sure that um, God will vindicate you. He will bring things to the light, and, and there will be justice, um, but also understand that you and I have done things to God, yeah. and he will also vindicate his glory. Yes, there are people that have not paid us back and, and we may not be able to get that money back and, and they've done us wrong. But understand um, that as God deals with that, he's, always, he's also going to deal with the fact that you and I owe him a debt. Because we have broken his law and, 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 and a sin that has piled up that, um, that has accrued interest of eternal wrath that we deserve. But Jesus Christ came to pay that debt. And Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. He paid the debt that we could not pay back. And as Jesus Christ died on the cross, he fulfilled the law that we could not fulfill. And as Jesus Christ has 
gone into glory, Jesus Christ has now made a way for all of us to enter into glory with him to worship the Father forever. The exact thing we were made to do. That's why the emphasis is on Jesus. It seems unhelpful. And as we're preaching the gospel to individuals, it seems wah, 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 wah. But it's okay. Remember, they're not supposed to know. If they knew, we would not have been sent here to tell them. The, the healthy don't need a physician. The astute don't need a teacher. So we don't have to minister in a way that's exhausted or annoyed because people may not get it. That's why God sent us to set the light so that people can get it. And so you have a message that seems unhelpful, but then once she gets it, she realizes the best thing that she could have imagined. And so she drops the jar and she goes into town and she begins to tell everybody, could this be the Christ? The one that people have been talking about and looking for? Um, it's an unhelpful message. Um, I've got a couple more minutes left. Uh, quickly, I'm going to look at the uh, un, uh, unlikely nutrients and then I'll, uh, unlikely revival, they will they'll conclude. I, I want you to look at verse 31 to 38. Um, the disciples have come back and they're wondering why he was talking to this the Samaritan woman, which shouldn't have been done. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Verse 35, do you say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, um, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labor and you have entered into their labor. Here you have the disciples, they've come back and they've, they've brought food and, and Jesus is like, I'm, I'm not hungry. No, actually, Jesus was hungry. He was hungry for souls. He was hungry to do the Father's will. And so Jesus said that my food, is, uh, his portion was, was not the food that they brought, but his portion was to do the will of him who sent them to accomplish the Lord's, to, to accomplish the Lord's work. And he presses it on them to, to, to think and to live the same way. He said, listen, y'all, y'all, you all know about agriculture. You know that when you sow a seed, then you have to wait about four, four months, four, five, six months for, for water to come, and then the seed will grow, and, I mean, then the seed will take root, and then the plants with the harvest will grow. 
He's like, listen, that don't apply here. Look up. The harvest is right here. What are you waiting for? Have a sense of urgency to do the will of the Lord. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering food for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. There's, when you look outside in your neighborhoods to the nations, the Lord wants us to see a harvest. Yes, it's hard work, but he doesn't just want us to see, he doesn't want us to see weeds Jesus looked at this Samaritan woman and this Samaritan village who were completely lost, and he saw a harvest. He wants us to look at the world the same way. And listen, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. So, so what's the problem? Jesus says the problem. The harvest is plentiful, but what? The laborers are few. The problem ain't the, ain't, ain't the problem with the harvest. He's the Lord over the harvest. Problem is, where the laborers at? I know that's not a problem here. I praise the Lord for Garden Church and how you all have labored and in tasks that seem like mundane, putting up lights, putting down floors, paint walls. Praise the Lord for that work. And also, praise the Lord for the work of you all, um, after school program and, and meeting kids and sharing the gospel. Praise the Lord for that work. And praise the Lord for that work when you all go home and you're ministering one another in y'all's homes, and you're having conversations about the gospel to your children who have a 30-second attention span. <laughs> praise the Lord for that, and praise the Lord for when you go to your jobs, you're being a light on your jobs. That is the work of the ministry, and you're going to reap. It may not seem like it, but Lord said, oh, it's a, it's a harvest, a plentiful harvest out there, and, and some people um, some people sow, others reap, but because we're all one, because we're on the same mission, because it's the same Lord over the harvest, because that same Lord is the one who gets the results, we all going to reap. And the Lord is saving people all around the globe. He's saving people in the Philippines. He's saving people in France. He's saving people in Baltimore. He's saving people in D.C. The Lord is a savior. And what a blessing we have to, to be a part of the labor, to work in the harvest. And, and, and that, that actually gives us strength. So Jesus said his, his food was to do the will of God. And that's what gave him his nutrients. And sometimes uh, when we're doing the, we're like, yo, I need to take, some, now sometimes, and hear me, hear me clearly, sometimes you do need to take a break from doing ministry, in a, a particular ministry, okay? Sometimes a break is good, okay? You never take a break from ministering to your family or something like that, right? Um, uh, but, but there are some seasons where you just may have to take a, take a, step, take a step back a little bit, right? Um, because you may be getting tired and weary. But also understand that as Christians, doing the work of God actually fills us up. 
So in some seasons where you think I'm weary because I'm, of some reason, maybe you're weary because, because you're not doing the will of the Lord. Because Jesus, who, who is the um, prototype man who um, shows what it's like to be Christian, has said that his will, what gave him food, what nourished his soul, was actually doing God's will. So what if, what if one of the things that actually gives us strength would be doing the Lord's will? And that's what we can use a little bit more of, 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 of serving him and sharing the gospel and, and, and laboring in love, and maybe that can fill us up more. So that's an unlikely nutrient. And then lastly, there's an unlikely um, salvation, an unlikely revival. And so here you've you got this woman, uh, verses 39 to, 40, th- 39 to 42. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I love this picture of salvation. The, the Samaritan starts out, the Samaritan woman starts out that thinking that there's no greater thing than uh, her father uh, Jacob. And she leaves saying that there's no one better than Jesus. She starts out being distant and deceptive. Now she goes back amongst the people telling them the truth. She starts out thinking about earthly water, how she can get her buckets to be filled so her thirst could be quenched. And then she leaves the jars there because the jars wasn't her priority anymore at that time. She left it because she had found living water in Jesus Christ. And then she goes into town and then she, she tells the town and what happens with the town. They come out and they interact with Jesus, and Jesus teaches them, and he, actually, I'm sorry, Jesus goes into the town, and he interacts with them, and he stays there for a couple of days, and then what happened, many people, um, they're saved. Family, let's, let, let's never get tired of our testimonies and, and, our, uh, and our salvation. Uh, truth, um, you, probably, you probably can hear it, but uh, just truth and advertisement. Yes, I, I work in Lincoln Heights, which is a tough area, but I've um, n- n- no tough guy here. Uh, my, my wife always teased me. Um, she always says, uh, Clarence's parents had a real good marriage. <laughs> I had a two-parent household. They made sure I went to private school, sent me to Howard University, never been locked up, never did anything crazy. And I'm still amazed that Jesus saved. And that's some of your testimonies also. You don't have to be ashamed of your testimony. Because you were lost and dead and you were undone. The Lord Jesus found you and saved you. And there are some people who have had a, a very hard upbringing. And you may have done some things in your life that you are very ashamed of. You can say with Paul, by grace of God, I am what I am. And my life is a testimony of God's wonderful patience. 
And don't be ashamed of your testimony either. Everybody, go. You are a living testimony of God's grace. Tell others about the one who has saved you so that they can know this wonderful Jesus who is the Savior of the world. And if you are in here and you know that you're dead in your soul, you, you feel like your worship is falling flat or you feel like you don't really know God, call out to him today. This day has been appointed for you to interact with Jesus from the text. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. Call out to Jesus and be saved and be filled with Jesus, the living water, so that you will never thirst again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would take an imperfect message about a perfect Savior um, and do your work to the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.